Ah, yes. Vinyl. Listening can take you back to a time, a place, or a feeling as soon as that needle drops. And now, it's back. In a big way. This is the Vinyl Community Podcast. Buddies, buddies, buddies. Hey, it's Concert Buddy. Big, but 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 big doings today on the channel. I'm here. If you found me on YouTube, it's per normal. Or, hopefully, with the new endeavor we're kicking off with this very here broadcast for the Vinyl Community Podcast channel. My first contribution to this project is, an, is a conversation. I call it the mind of the record collector. And I'm going to be talking to fellow collectors in the vinyl community and picking their brain and learning their background and, like I said, tips and tactics, all that kind of good stuff. First up is my good friend batting leadoff, Matt Sands. Matt has been a part of the vinyl community on YouTube for over 10 years. 10. 10. 10 years. And he's seen a lot of changes and interruptions, and he's seen a lot of the community kind of go in different directions. So it's it, it, this will be a really interesting conversation, not just from that aspect, but also Matt uh, will talk about his collecting journey personally, so much so that he and another, uh, his partner, Brian, actually five years ago opened up a record store in, in, his, in his hometown, Hillsboro, Illinois, called Gold Pan Records. It's a really great shop. It's well curated, priced really well. It's like my favorite type of record store. It's a record store owned by record collectors for record collectors. It's awesome. Anyway, that's a lot to digest right now. I'm really excited to get into it. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Matt. I certainly did. I've been looking forward for a long time to, to sitting down with Matt and picking his brain and learning about his YouTube experience compare it against my own YouTube experience from the past year and just learn and, and share this kind of information. I'm going to kick it off, buddies, with part one of this interview conversation. And if you like it and you want to hear the rest of it, please check out part two, which will be coming out in a few days after this. Again, thanks for joining me. I really hope you enjoy it. Let's get into the conversation. All right. What is awesome. up, buddies? Got Mr. Matt. Sands in the house. Now, Matt, do I call you Matt Sands or DJ Mellow Yellow? What do you prefer? You broke my cover! Uh, the DJ Mellow Yellow thing uh, started as like a radio moniker. Uh, Sam and I were doing a radio show, and uh, to kind of cross-promote, we did some videos, and we were like, we'll just do our, our DJ names on these videos. And then the videos unexpectedly kind of took off, and uh, now I'm affectionately known by a lot of people as DJ Mellow yellow and it's one of those things where it's like okay that's fine but matt's totally cool <laughs> excellent well cool well that's how i got to know you just a little backstory yeah. here um God, well first of all how long have you been doing the youtube thing and then i'll kind of ease into how i learned about you yeah i actually know the exact date because uh, last year i got a notification on my thing like congratulations it's been 10 years uh it was oh like june, snap yeah june 21st of 2012 was my introduction to the vinyl community video which i don't even think i have listed on my channel anymore like <laughs> there's a lot of videos that i've unlisted uh because they're like so cringeworthy uh, but, yeah uh, yeah so 10 10 plus years now coming up on on 11 years oh that's wild yeah i well 
cringe thing. I talked about this <laughs> in the first year, you know, uh, hindsighting I did with Rob on my previous little interview thing. Um, but yeah, some of those early videos, like even oh, yeah. I just watched, I mean, it's, it's tough. It's, it is. It's, it's like a how not to do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And like, I was a fairly new collector. I'd only been collecting for like a couple years and it's that, uh, I think they call it the Dunning Kruger effect where like when you're new to a hobby, you amass like a lot of knowledge. So you think, you know, a lot when really you've only like touched the surface of the knowledge of a hobby and so you're kind of speaking with authority and it's like going back, it's like, that's not true at all. Like, why, why did I say that? Unlist. <laughs> you know, so sure, a lot of sure. those kinds of videos. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So, so you've been, so YouTube for 10 years, I want to say I found your channel, golly, let's call it six or seven years ago. You were one of the first yeah. channels I found out there it was like you, uh, Mr. Hall of Fame, Brandon was doing videos. Billy Hurst, I think was doing videos at the uh -huh. time. Yeah. And, and, and coincidentally, all local, local-ish, right? I had no idea yeah. that everybody was so close, right? So that kind of tripped me out. But uh, yeah, so I got originally, it was like, oh, DJ Mellow Yellow, because you and Sam, which we'll get into here in a little bit, were doing basically joint videos. You were doing some one-offs, you know, on, on your channel, obviously. But then you guys were probably more known for doing like the hindsighting of here's what we picked up at the record show. And then you guys would you know, interloop some music to it, especially because yeah. it's psych and all that. So that was exciting stuff. And I was kind of at a point in my collecting where I, I was looking for like-minded people to learn from because yeah. you're, you can, you can only learn so much in a vacuum and Googling. And if you go into the Hoffman forums, which trademark, <laughs> I think they're the butthole of the vinyl community yeah. <laughs> because they're so toxic, right? Like he, there are some people there to help and good yeah. good information but it's it's just, it's like anything else on the internet eventually it goes sour and yeah anyway so yeah. in my search in my quest i found youtube and i found channels like yours and, and these other folks to like really learn for and lean into and and it was really helpful to be honest with you because you're kind of operating like at least for me operating by myself yeah <laughs> going to shows and stores and it's exactly what you said is like you think you know early on certain things and then you find out yeah, dead wrong, dead to rights. <laughs> <laughs> you remember uh, MTV had a show for, it was like celebrity, like, I wish I could remember the name. It was like True Life or something. But the yes. intro was always like, you think you know? You have no idea. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's record one. Like, you think you know? No way. Because that's, no, that's, that's how I found the vinyl community on YouTube. It was uh, like, I remember searching on Google, like, the best way to clean records. And Wes, uh, Super Wes, has a massively popular video about this DIY vacuum machine that he made. And I remember watching that and then being like, what, what other videos does this guy have? It was like, oh, he makes videos showing records. And then like you would read comments and find other channels. And like especially at that time, it was a pretty small community of vinyl people, like actually sure. just showing vinyl records. And then I found people like uh, Mark Ditch at Glass Orchid Aftermath or Bo at Earhead 6 uh chris at dixieland farm like some of those guys that were showing the 60s kind of stuff um dixieland farm still kind of makes videos the other guys are kind of hit and miss still but like at that time it was like oh these guys have been collecting like for 20 years like what can i learn from them and uh then you just kind of strike up friendships and then it was like well i want to make these videos too and you kind of mm. i don't know just kind of eased into it that way a little bit that's cool. Interesting. So how did, um, so when you decide to take the plunge, right, to move to the other side of the camera 10 years yeah. ago now, 
did how did you get well one talk about your relationship with sam I, i'm assuming you guys are friends for a while but then also like bringing him on board in that journey like how does that work how do you pitch that idea like hey do you know about youtube do you know about this like tell me a little bit yeah about that. it was yeah so my first video was 2012 uh we were living in southern illinois and it was exactly like you said like i was the only person i knew that collected records and this was a way to connect with other collectors um I didn't even know about the St. Louis record show at that time. That was a couple years later still for me. Um, but we moved back up to kind of central Illinois and reconnected with Sam, who wasn't too far away. We'd gone to college together. Um, and I don't know, I think he and his wife came over to our house one day and he was like, holy crap, you have records. And I was like, yeah, I kind of collect them. And he was like, dude, I have a lot of records. Like I collect. And it was like, no way. Like, how did we not know this? You know, we've known each other since like 2004. Is this like that stepbrothers no moment where they just realize? <laughs> yes. or, yeah, yeah. Two yeah, sides of the coin. Best friends. Yeah. Did we just become best friends? Yep. So he then he started talking. He was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in charge of the radio station. And over the summer, he's like, I have a slot to fill. Let's just do a, a radio show for the summer and we'll see what happens. And we can kind of play our our records that we find and it's a way for us to kind of get together and maybe an excuse to go record digging and stuff. Sure. And that's how that started. And then we just kept going with the rate, the radio show. Cause uh, I, it was like one of those weird things of like, we're doing the record show or not the record show, the radio show. And we're talking about records. And I was kind of like, do you ever watch YouTube videos about record collecting? You know, I didn't want to like tell them, you know, it was like, like out you have an only fans you know or something and <laughs> so he was like no is there like a thing i was like yeah i make videos and some other people do and so he watched a couple he was like we should do this together like why are we not making videos about the radio show like maybe we could promote the radio show and it was holy like we were hoping distributors would like send us free records or concerts would send us tickets to shows like that was the whole point of the first couple videos but then it just became way more fun doing the videos even than just doing the radio show so it was like you know we would do a couple shows at the radio station and then i would bring my camera stuff and we'd shoot a video and post it and then once we did our first top 10 video is when the channel kind of took off mm. and got a lot of notice it must have hit the youtube algorithm just right and uh got a lot of views pushed our way and you know, we started getting subscribers and people wanting more videos and the radio show kind of took the backs, you know, kind of the back burner and uh, the videos kind of took precedence. And then I had a kid and a new job and <laughs> production went down, like productivity went down, but we still try. And I've actually got one edited that I need to upload here in like a couple days. I got some finishing touches on it, but there's another one in the, in the bag and we still want to do another top 10 of 2022. We just haven't had a chance to get together yet. So that's wild. Yeah. Cause I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, like you, is it a hobby, like photography and, and, and film editing and stuff? Because I know you've done some stuff for, correct me if I'm I, wrong, the, the Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, it was kind of a, just kind of a side hobby, side project kind of thing that I did. I picked up a camera and really liked using it. And then I had a friend that was doing wedding videos that needed a second shoot. And I started doing that, making some extra money on the side. I had the gear. It was like there were some moments where it was like we would literally just set up the camera, not even put a microphone on it and just bang out a video. There was somewhere we took time to light it. So if you go back through, there's some where it's like, oh, they tried on this one. And, and other ones where it's like, <laughs> oh, well, they did one, you know. But Old I always tried to show. edit music in and like pictures. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's funny. Um, so we talked about kind of your motivation, similar to mine, similar probably to a lot of, of people, was just finding like-minded people. Now I will say 
I was kind of one of those creepers. Like I would watch your <laughs> your guys' content. I'd watch Brandon's, whoever, and I would never comment because I mostly watched it like on our TV, right? Oh yeah, through like Apple TV or what have you. So it was only in the last couple of years I kind of figured, yeah, that's a, that's probably the first touch point to interact with different people. But then I, you know, I had it under my personal, my government name, and yeah, it was kind of kind of weird. So I think there's everyone has kind of their own different dipping their toe in the bathwater, be it making the videos, being a contributor in the comments, all that kind of stuff. But when you started the channel, obviously you said kind of your goals were just to connect with people, connect with collectors, learn things. And then later when you brought Sam in and you guys were doing your collective thing through the radio station and whatnot, it sounded like maybe you'll get some promo records. Maybe you'll get some <laughs> concert tickets, that kind of stuff. As the channel matured, and as you really started making some, you know, connections like offline or what have you, mm -hmm. your, any your goals change? I mean, obviously you talk about availability and life changed for you in a lot of different fronts. But did your ambition or goals for the channel change at all, or is it same as it's ever been? Yeah, for me, it's always just been like if I'm having fun with it, I want to do it. If it stops awesome. being fun, I'm going to stop doing it. And there have been a few times where I've gotten a negative comment or something, and I've been like, I'm not making a video for three or four months like it just soured mm. me you know and it's, it's like that was so stupid to let that little comment bother me that much but you know it's just sometimes that you're in a bad headspace or something and it gets to you more sure. than it should um but for me it's always just been about the fun about uh connecting with people i know sam uh has been talking more about wanting to do a podcast wanting to do uh more with the channel which is awesome i i, I hope that i can i hope that i can do more with the channel with them um it's just work schedules and i've got a five-year-old he doesn't have any kids so it's there's demands that i've got that he doesn't which is you know neither here nor there it just is what it is for both of us um so it's just one of those like trying to find the right time we also live a little farther apart now my wife and i moved um a year and a half ago um so we're i'm a, about an hour and 15 minutes from sam now instead of like mm. 45 minutes so it's there's a little extra drive time involved for both of us. Um, so connecting is a little bit hard to try to grow the channel and, and make it consistent. Mm -hmm. um, he wants to get some of his own video equipment to him. Maybe do, you know, we can maybe do stuff like this where we record each other at home and edit the thing together. Um, I don't know. We're, we're trying some things out and we'll see where it goes, but I, I don't have any lofty ambitions of it getting to be like a noble records, you know, like, 75,000 subscribers <laughs> kind of a thing sure. um but it, it was fun having dylan like start as like one of those lurkers in the comments and then see him like comment like hey i made my first video today and it's like oh that's cool you, you've been watching our channel for a long time but now he's like you know sky high youtube guy but uh i don't know i, I know sam sam would love some uh loftier ambitions from me but that's I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens down the road. <laughs> now I hear you. I uh, we'll we'll talk about one of those other uh, life things here in a little bit. We'll talk about your shop. It's one thing I really want to dig into. But uh, yeah, well, well, first of all, if Sam's looking for a podcast collective, I know a guy. I'm just saying. So, I'm just <laughs> so. yes. Which when you but, mentioned uh, that earlier, I was like, I know a guy. I I've, I've got a guy for you. <laughs> yeah, but um, no. So talking about now you're doing it for 10 years like what are some of the things that you've really noticed as not only a, a creator of videos but obviously as a watcher and so forth in that 10 years it's 
I mean, again, somebody's watching it six or seven years. Like, it's very interesting that there's so many more people doing it. Uh, you yeah. kind of hit on it with like somebody like Dylan, who I watched, you know, when you guys collaborated on something like this before during COVID, you know, he credited you guys as being one of those channels that inspired him to kind of start same thing. Like, is anybody out yeah. there? SOS. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah. Now he's one of the, the big kahunas in this whole sea. Right. But um, yeah. What, what have you noticed just from the last 10 years and, and it, tell me about it. Yeah, there was, I think there was like, there were two shifts in the vinyl community, maybe more, but I remember like there were the OGs, like, uh, like the Chris's at Dixieland farm. There's a ton of guys that aren't around anymore. Like Nathan Morales, uh, uh, the Grecian thunder, um, river curd, like some of these guys that were like first to the video stuff. I know Brandon was an early guy right. on, uh, making videos. Um, a lot of those guys kind of faded. There was a surge on Facebook, um, of the YouTube vinyl community group. Like that was, there was a period there for about two, two and a half years where it was just like, people were making videos and you would see it pop up on the Facebook group. People would talk about the videos. They had what was called like a VC after dark on Facebook where like the jokes were a little dirtier, a little edgier. Like people were showing like funny <laughs> covers and stuff. It was wow. just like, there was a vibrant thriving community. Like it felt like a group um, and it felt contained. And then at a certain mm. point it was like, holy cow, there are like 2000 people on this Facebook group. Most of them don't make videos. And then the video creators kind of started going down and then new people came in. Uh, that was kind of the first shift. And then the second shift was monetized channels that started coming in. Like the quality of their videos was really high. Um, the content was whatever. Um, I don't sure. want to mention like anybody specifically because I don't want to feel like they're being called out, but it was just, there were a couple that popped up at that time that was like, Oh, they're trying to like be a big creator. And that was kind of around the time where YouTube was really, uh, paying big money for for big subscribers, big views. Um, mm -hmm. You didn't have all these rules in place. Like you didn't have to have a subscriber threshold. It was just like if you had one video that hit, you made money. Um, so you had people like that kind of coming along, mainly doing intro videos like, you know, here's some good record players to buy. Here's some good introductory records. Here's some, you know, um, one of those channels is still around. Um, Matt at Too Many Records, sure. he actually had a, a channel that was called Damn It Sandy. He yes. had a, a female uh, presenter. I really enjoyed their channel. I enjoyed the banter they had. Um, he's gone on to open his own record store, and his channel is pretty popular. But mm -hmm. it was like his content looked great. Uh, Vinyl Geek, Vinyl Rewind, his content yes. looked great. He's mm -hmm. still around. He's still making great videos. Um, but there was kind of that shift where it was no longer just like a dude in front of his webcam, you know, showing a dirty, dusty record cover in his sweatpants. Like it was like, <laughs> oh, these are these are like professional people. These guys are serious about it. That felt second shift. And uh and now it's like there's just so many different creators out there. You've got kind of a mix of those kind of higher quality content creators. And you've got just a massive amount of people that have found vinyl community videos and they want to contribute in their own way. And it's just, it's almost overwhelming now. Like you just type in vinyl community in the YouTube search bar and it's just Boom. the first 300 videos that pop up. I'm like, I know none of these people. Like I've never right. seen them. I don't know their names. And some of them have a lot of subscribers and it's, it's really cool to see, but it has lost a little bit of, I think that community feel that there was kind of in those early couple years. But that's that's the nature of the beast. That's how things go, and they 
they get popular and records are super popular again. And that's, that's a good thing for us. You know, as collectors, we want record stores to be around. We want records to keep being made. And right. If it means that there's less of a community feel on YouTube, oh well. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, I, no, I think you touch on something that's really important, at least to me and probably to other people listening and watching, is the community aspect. And even in the time I've been watching, like a creeper in the shadows, to this last <laughs> year making videos, yeah, those shifts. There's a lot. There, there is an ebb and flow, and I've noticed, and you know, like using too many records, a polarizing figure in some sure, areas yeah. of the uh, community. But I was watching it. He was one of the f first channels I was watching, and uh, I, I think I caught him at the tail end of the Damn It Sandy era. And then when he started doing it on his own, and then he brought in another uh, gal as a co-host. So different phases. Because I think I started watching him when he had maybe between five and ten thousand subs. So he was. He was mired, I noticed, from afar and the how do I grow yeah. my channel? He was really ambitious, right? And so yeah. he would go on the Reddit boards and you know try to crowdsource ideas for content. So I kind of you know took these mental notes. But anyway, I noticed that once not just him, but once some of these channels exactly what we were talking about reached a different level from subscribers, monetization, whatever the poo-poo platter is that makes them kind of break <laughs> out into their own lane. Vinyl rewind's another one, right? Um yeah it felt like it, it, it touches on something I've talked about on live stream, like other, like Rachel's ghost live stream and some other places that it feels like the bigger channels aren't as uh, the community thing, aren't as engaged or plugged into that community matrix of, for lack of a better word, the smaller mm -hmm. channels. Right. And it's, yes. it's interesting. It's interesting because like, even like Michael 45, who's a within the last five years channel right over in Germany started watching him from jump street. I think Mazzy, had kind of gave him a plug one time and hmm. you know we all start with that, the same ambition and we're really like talking about records and you're passionate about it and you have fun with it and yeah. you know he's doing he's doing different things too right he's kind of taking his channel in different directions so it's interesting that the, the the things you're noticing are the things i'm noticing too in a different way like there is but i think that's you know it's that old saying the one constant in life is change same thing goes yeah. for this environment right so it's it's interesting times but yeah i'm with you if there wasn't this much interest and fervor and even people getting into the hobby, even getting a Crosley suitcase tape uh, yeah. you know, turntable from Bed Bath & Beyond, which I'm not going <laughs> to knock on. But, but you know what I mean? It, it, it really benefits the hobby at large because the more demand there is, the more tone poets are going to be made. Yeah. You know, the, the labels will put more emphasis on bringing things from the vault or trying to remaster things or like acoustic sounds, right? Chad Cassim's yeah. business. I would... I'm sure he'd never say this, but his business has to have thousand eyes. I don't even you know quintuple. I mean, just in the last five to 10 years, just based yes. on this vinyl, I know they call it vinyl resurgence or what have <laughs> you, but, but you know what I mean? Like just that, that renewed interest. And, and now it's more mainstream and more, it's, it's, it's really, really wild. Yeah, um, for sure. So you, you hit on something that I want to go kind of segue to this next topic. Talking about Matt at Too Many Records, perfect, perfect example. Going from the YouTube thing and collecting to then saying, I'm going to open a store. And you were one of the early ones that I noticed. Maybe there's other ones. Because, again, the vinyl community is so vast that, yeah, you know, like, I, th I think I'm in it, like the Matrix. And then once, <laughs> you know, I, I get on the algorithm and then I learn there's a whole nother, you know, it's it's fascinating. But but tell me about the the, the genesis, the ideation of saying, you know what, I want to open a store. Like what was the walk? And, and, and I mean, it takes, I'll be honest, it takes a lot to kind of 
take that next level to, you know, obviously amass a lot of records and to stand it up yeah. and stuff. So tell me, t- tell me what went into the, the idea behind it and saying, you know what, I'm going to rubber to road. Let's lift this off the ground. Man, so it's a long story and I have a tendency to get long winded. So I'll try my best to kind of condense it down into uh, kind of the nitty gritty. Um, sure. My friend uh, and business partner, Brian, uh, his name is Brian Lee. He makes music yes. as well. Brian Lee and his orchestra and the Young Eyes are kind of his two bands. Check them out. Um, but when we lived in Southern Illinois, we'd come home to visit family and uh, there was a great local thrift store like there was a guy in town that it was his life's mission to stock this thrift store with records so he would go to yard sales and stuff and whatever records he bought he just donated to the thrift store so uh, i would bump into brian a lot there digging for records and then i found out that brian was doing a consignment deal at a local coffee shop uh where he was selling some records and i was like well i'll go check these out and i went and was like holy crap this is like a miniature record store in a coffee shop and his prices were ridiculous ridiculously low like mm. for a beginning collector i was cheap i didn't want to spend more than like five bucks average on a record you know i could i could come home with like a stack of 30 records and it was like i spent 40 bucks you know it was um i got a lot of essential classics that way i got some hard to find stuff that way and then when we moved back home once a week i was at his record store like checking it out whether or not he had new stuff or not i just i wanted to go and see and we kept bumping into each other and bumping into each other and uh, one day he was like, hey, about the St. Louis record, but I still there, uh, but I could really use somebody that could go with me and man the booth while I buy records. I was like, sure, that sounds great. And so <laughs> I was like, a struggle, right? Yeah. Store credit? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like, I get store credit for going to a record show. This is amazing. Um, so we started doing that over and over. And then like the friendship kind of blossomed. Uh, are geeking out on records, you know, like went to the next level, you know, it was like elevated. And we started talking about like, how cool would it be to have a record store in our small town, Hillsborough, Illinois, um, okay. 6,000 people were smack dab in between Springfield, Illinois and St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, it was like, we are tired of like driving all over the place to, <laughs> to go find records. Like be cool to just have a spot here in town. Um, if we ever get the chance, we should do it. That'd be great. But it was just one of those, like, it's like when you're a little, wouldn't it be awesome to have a limo with a swimming pool? You know, it's like, it's just a dream. (laughs) You have no no intention of it ever coming true. Um, but fast forward a few years and, uh, another friend of ours moved back from Colorado. He bought a building downtown. Uh, Brian is a carpenter by trade. That's his day job. So he was renovating the building and he just asked our friend one day, like, Hey, what are you going to do with the storefront? Like, do you have any ideas, any businesses approached you? And he was like, well, actually, in the back, I'm going to have a recording studio, but I have no idea about the front. And he was like, would you consider a record store? And he was like, that would be amazing. Who do you know? <laughs> Brian was like, well, actually, me and Matt. <laughs> I have a like, guy. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we met at the local pizza place, and he gave us a number for rent. And Brian and I were like, that sounds great if we can do month by month. <laughs> it was like, we don't want to lock into a lease. Because we don't know if this is going to last. And he was like, totally cool. If it doesn't work out, I'll find somebody to fill the storefront. And uh, so we started looking for records immediately. Uh, We posted on Facebook, like, hey, we're opening a record store. Devin's going to have a recording studio in the back. Uh, The town got super excited. We got a lot of leads. Um, We bought every record we could, kind of leading up to it. 
some other friends of ours ran an antique store in town. They let us sell records out of their store. They took like 10%. I mean, a super small mm. cut just mm-hmm. to, so that somebody was there to sell them. And uh, it let us build up some more cash so we could buy more records, so we could buy material for bins and sure, you know sure. the iPad for the square you know, reader, <laughs> like all that kind of startup calls, yeah. stuff. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, we didn't want to take out a loan. We really thought like our wildest dream was like this will last six months and we'll be able to say we owned a record store at one point and we might get some cool records out of the deal. That That was literally our loftiest goal. We didn't even write a business plan down. <laughs> like, wow, it was it was the most like hillbilly from the hip, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, from the hip, like no plan, just wing it. The worst way to open any kind of business, but that was just what we did, and uh, and here we are. I think we opened in March of 2018, so we're coming up on being open for five years now. That's awesome, and and uh, that is that is as condensed as I can make it, and that was long. No, no, you did a great job of that because <laughs> uh, I got a couple follow-ups. But to, for the record, and you probably don't remember because that weekend was a blur. I did make the trek up there for your opening weekend at the Gold Pan. The Gold Pan Records is I your think store. Was, did, you, did you bring your wife with you? Yes, yes, yeah. She asked me what you know. We didn't have anything going yeah, I on. I was that. like, hey. Do you want to do you want to go check out? And she, had, you know, I'd watched your video, so she had like a general familiarity of like whose store we're going to. And yeah, we, so we came up for sure. that opening weekend, and uh, man, it had to be like a real charge to have people in. And um, tell me how long it took you. You said like you guys were going around amassing records, but at the same time selling, so you could generate yeah. some working capital and stuff like that. Um, how long did it take you from the the moment or the day or week or whatever? You're like, yeah, we're going to do this amassing records and all that till actually that weekend opening in Hillsboro. It would have been just under a year, uh, probably eight months or so would be okay. my guess. Uh, Cause I think we met in June of 2017. I remember my, my daughter was born. She was born in April and I had her with me at the meeting at the pizza place. So I want to say it was like <laughs> June of, of 2017 and then we opened in March. So whatever the math is on that. And, uh, right. And March was probably pushing it for us to open. Uh, we probably should have waited a little longer, but we were the building was ready and we were too excited. Um, we could have used a lot more records. We could have used a lot more like professional looking stuff. Like knowing that you were there that first weekend is like somebody finding my vinyl community introduction video. It's like, oh gosh, like uh come now. Like <laughs> come to the now. Don't don't remember that. Like <laughs> hey, no, listen. I, I, it has, and I'll say I haven't been up there in a minute, but I'll say that that weekend. And it, I hate to say this; it's kind of predatory vibes. But you're like, oh, somebody's opening a new store. I can find more records. And I do remember; I think I pulled like an Amy Grant record, which like uh, <laughs> heart to heart or moment to moment, whatever yeah. it's called, right? But it was on my list, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this record. I finally found this record. It wasn't like a you know Grail or it wasn't anything. But I'm really? like, oh, th- so for me that made the whole hour and a half, ninety minute trip up there worth it because I'm like, great, now I don't have to look for this Amy Grant record anymore <laughs> so, awesome. so so when you guys you know you open the store and you said you're like oh I just you know if anything we open this for six months and we can say we own you know check the boxes we owned a record store at one time but it was part of your thinking i mean obviously you have to make some money on the deal like I, you know it, it could go it could be real successful and take off but also and, and please tell me if i'm i've got this off base but also 
accessibility, right? Cause you're going to, you got to hustle, you got to grind and find yeah. these collections. But then when you find them getting for lack of a better word, first dibs on stuff that a lot of people don't ever see, even if they hunt right. for five, 10 years. So are those some of the other motivating factors of kind of getting the store off the ground? Oh, totally. We, we, <laughs> we kind of joke, like when we were dreaming of the idea, it was like, you know, we'd go to the record shows and Brian would sell, uh, he would use some of that money that he made from selling to buy stuff for his store, but also for himself. So he kind of already had an avenue to get records in where he wasn't spending his own personal money, if that makes sense. Sure. And so we were yeah. like, this would be the perfect like record laundering business where we can <laughs> we can get these expensive records with the store's money and we can tell our wives that we didn't spend any money. <laughs> you know? So it was like that was definitely a, a big selling point on having a record store. And it has has come to fruition a few times where like you find that record like, oh, my gosh, yes. Look what I found. What did you spend on it? Nothing. It came from the record store. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's a lot of folks, hopefully listening and watching this, that can relate to the, uh, you know, honey, I uh, I didn't spend as much money on records as you think. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's like a, there's a big stack of mailers waiting in a corner somewhere, right? So they kind of get it, right? Yes. But um, so then, last thing to talk about the store. So I know you guys are open and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's definitely Friday and Saturday. Sometimes you expand hours a little bit. So obviously you have a full-time job. It sounds like Brian also has a full-time job if I picked yeah. up on that. So is that the hardest thing is this finding time to make sure that one of you guys is there. You can, I'm sure you could hire somebody or you know somebody that it seems like the secret sauce is another collector will work there and get store credit or something like that is, yeah. is the main thing keeping you guys from opening more longer hours is it just the, the the manpower and just finding that time or yeah a little bit for sure when we when we first opened we thought we could split the shifts uh we're mainly friday and saturday like 12 30 to 5 and those hours came because at the time i was working uh, i still work for the postal service but i had just started i was working a really small rural office where i got off work at like noon and i could make the drive over real quick open the store at 12 30 and then Brian could work whatever other shift I didn't work. And within like a month and a half, it was like, this is not working. Like I'm getting called to work other offices. Brian's got projects that are coming up that he can't really take time to go to the store. Like we were doing it, but it was like, we're not paying ourselves anything working at the record store. So we're losing money for ourselves. If we don't take the jobs, sure. like we got to find somebody. So it, it took a few months and we found a guy named Josh um, that was kind of a regular buyer was kind of a cool guy I had a lot of knowledge about records like a Excellent. wide swath of records and so since probably june or so of 2018 he's been our hired help uh he works every shift uh even if brian are, are there the whole time like he's our guy behind the counter so if we have to leave or if we get called away there's no guilt for us to leave and we, we know somebody's there man that we can trust uh like we even are cool with him buying collections on our behalf now like um we just trust right. him that much and know his he knows our kind of strategy. Uh, we know his knowledge base and we trust him implicitly with everything. Um, and that has saved the record store 100%. Like I, if we didn't have him, I don't think we could be open. Um, and so it's also kind of like Friday and Saturday, still Thursdays yeah. through kind of the holiday season. Cause we want Josh to be able to do his thing and, and work a different job if he needs to, that pays more than what the record store can pay him. Sure. Um, but we also do like a store credit thing. If he decides like to take some records in lieu of pay, 
um, which has been fun for him too. Like, he's on first name basis with a lot of the regulars that we don't necessarily awesome. know. Um, yeah, he's he's been invaluable for sure. Yeah, I think um, one of my working hypotheses is that hypothesis? Yeah, um, hypothesis. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I think any any collector kind of talking on those those points I was, I was kind of bringing up there is like, yeah, it'd be cool to own a record store. Everything you're saying, it'd be cool to own a record store. It'd be a lot of work. You'd find great stuff, you know, those things, right? But the hardest part is getting it off the ground. And, and, and my working theory yeah. is that you almost have to have at least one partner, but you even talked about having like a, a essentially a third partner ways right like that's what makes like somebody like so like dylan noble records right he very similar kind of story that you were talking about you know somebody selling records around town and then he gets the store and obviously had the support yeah. of his wife but i find his kind of rise and and business model kind of the exception because uh, yes. Matt, too many records you know i had a partner at first like you almost need because there's only so many hours in the day and i know like billy hearst riverbend records same thing like obviously wife supports him and they find, you know, hours to staff that, you know, that way. And he hired people, but Brandon, you know, goes mm -hmm. up there and, and works too. So um, do you think that is not, not essential, but it's, it's, it's almost, if you don't have that, it makes it a million times tougher. Would you agree with that? Oh, for sure. It takes so much pressure off just having an extra person there. Um, like I remember the first collection I bought on my own, like, Brian, you know, we kind of put the message out there and cast the net of, we want to buy records. And I went and looked at this lady's house. It was in the middle of nowhere. I had like one bar of cell phone service if I stood up on her deck. <laughs> and uh, it was this big classic rock collection. And she wanted a certain number and I wanted to pay a certain thing. And I called Brian like, hey, man, you've been buying for years. Like, how do I talk her down? Like, or how do I convince her that she doesn't have what she thinks she had or can, you sure. know, he kind of talked me through some tips that was helpful. Um, you know, and so that was kind of the learning curve there, but it's also, it's just nice to have somebody else there that can share the workload of like, we just bought 2000 records and we need to have them all priced Assessed. before next weekend. Like here's half of them, you know, <laughs> here's my half and let's go to town on them. Um, or just staying up late and pricing or ordering stuff or cleaning the shop or, building the bit like whatever it is it's just nice to have another person there and, and to have a third person is even is even more amazing um like you said dylan and like he is 100 the exception because uh i know he's he's got the ability to stay up to like 4 or 5 a.m and then he's at the store <laughs> at like 7 30 or 8 a.m like if i don't get my seven hours me for like three days because i'm a monster yeah i think he's like remember that movie blade wesley snipes was like a day walking vampire i'm convinced <laughs> yes. like Dil Dil dylan's got a little of that going on because you know like to your point i mean just from fifty thousand feet away it seems like he's always up late and because he does his yeah. instagram post late at night or what have you and i mean it's it, it takes <laughs> it takes it takes a special kind because i love sleep i love naps and i love yes. sleep so i I, yes. again, another reason for me not to open a record store. My wife is always like, oh, especially during COVID, you really should open a record store. You know, you're, you're kind yeah. of uh, listless in your job and all. And, and again, it sounds like a great idea. Yeah. But f for me, like, I, I felt like I would need a definitely a, 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 a 1A, 1B situation. Yeah. And two, like St. Louis, and, and maybe you feel the same way, is there's so many record stores. It's kind of sneaky. Yes. 
how many records, the volume and then and the quality. If you're talking yes. about the, the the solidly curated shops, even you've got the OG like vintage vinyl. Like there's mm-hmm. just so much variety. There's even the shops that I don't really I won't name, but you know what I mean. Like there, <laughs> there there's there's a little bit for everybody. So anyway, that that's one of the reasons I never took that leap for you know lack of better words is need that backup person. Uh, you know, the, so much competition, all that stuff. So that's why I, I, I really admire your business model because when you, you have the right-hand person or you have the 1A, 1B situation, and yeah. it sounds like, and I think you told me this before when we talked about it, that your community didn't really have something like this, right? Like you didn't, you know, you guys were going to like thrift stores, like you kind of let off with that store, the, the thrift store guy you knew, but you're kind of serving a public need in a lot of ways. And, and I know when you first opened the store, you told me that too, because, you know, you said that there would be people like, man, so cool to have a record store. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people like me, like you, we enjoy to use records because they're yeah. generally cheaper and sometimes they're out of print and you can't get them new. Like anybody can yeah. pick up a phone and, you know, get an Amazon delivery the next day, but trying to find stuff that for whatever reasons never been repressed, reissued, uh, the reissues are hot trash. You know what I mean? Like yes. there's just something that, that that's what drew me to the hobby, honestly, outside of, you know, my my, my, my mom really being a big music head and, you know, me having that kind of uh, working or relationship with vinyl when I was a kid and obviously CDs all came through and all that. But, uh, but it helped to know that, uh, you know, I was like, this is sounds silly. I think we even talked about this, like the American pickers thing, right? Like yeah. knowing that you're finding something that someone for whatever reason has, kind of not discarded, but just they're ready to move on from and like rehoming that like really spoke to me. And so when I was 10 years ago, going to Goodwill's doing like the the poo-poo platter of how a lot of people build their collections, thrift stores, antique stores, uh, Craigslist. Remember you you, you used to be able to get records on Craigslist. Maybe you still can. I I gave up on it because it got too (laughs) weird. Right. But uh, yard sales, all, all those places that people were generationally moving on from, from the format. And you could get records for 10 for a dollar, 50 yeah. cents a piece. All these prices that now I think people listening and hearing this are like, no way. As, <laughs> as a, and we'll talk about the price points in a little bit. But it, it's it's almost like two gone eras. Like there's the people who yeah. have been doing like 10 years ago. It was almost like a completely different situation as well. It's, it's so true. It really is. Um, and you mentioned, I, I kind of want to go back real quick. Um, sure. It was something like our town needed. Brian, as a carpenter, like, he and his father-in-law own a couple apartment buildings in town um, and they have renovated a bunch of storefronts in town. They own a couple, but they've also renovated some for other people. So the record store was kind of a dual purpose for him. Like it was something that he wanted to have in town. Like, sure. I think this will make our town cooler and will, tr- will attract more people, which hopefully, you know, brings more people shop to live to whatever. Um, and our town was kind of going through a little bit of a renaissance a few years ago and, and it's still kind of on the upper tra- trajectory um midwest living magazine just did a, a feature on us um mm. in the fall and winter edition uh, about cool. our town and, and the gold pan got a mention uh, which was cool um but there's a lot of cool stuff happening in our town it was like when people were talking about like oh there's so many neat things happening you would mention the cool stuff like oh it'd be so cool to have a record store and this and, this, and people would be like oh that would never work here it's like well i think it would like if you think it would be cool to have, like, do it. And Try so it. that was yep. that was our our goal was also to kind of prove people wrong. Like, no, it, even though we're a small town and we're kind of in the middle of rural Illinois, like, 
if you're into it, other people are into it too. You just may not know it. You know, it was that vinyl community thing of like discovering other people are into the same thing you are. Um, you know, we've now got a really sweet coffee shop. We've got a movie theater that has three screens downtown. Uh, we've got this like crazy upscale home goods store. Um, mm, that's awesome. We've, there's a lot of, there's a candy store opening uh, two doors down from us, uh, hopefully this spring. Uh, there's a manufacturer called Atlas 46 that came to Hillsboro and now is just employing like 150 people in town. I mean, it's just things are, are taken off in a really cool way. And, and we feel kind of blessed to be a part of it, I guess. And, and just kind of to, to show other people like you can invest your money and you'll be able to see a return on it eventually. Like we haven't. No, it's cool to be part of that movement, right? Like I, yeah. I definitely think there's a nostalgia and also just a kind of romanticism with small town America. And I, you know, obviously I've been to the store and it's kind of like a main drag. You got the theater across the street. You're yeah. one of several, you know, kind of storefronts because again, to touch on the American pickers thing, they talk about it all the time. Like, those type of towns are kind of drying up, you know, you have the mass merchant, you know, box retailers yeah. coming in and, you know, the paint store and uh, yeah. the hardware store and the general store are all in one at Walmart or yeah. whoever. Right. So it's kind of, it's, it's, it's neat because it kind of just kind of touches on that, but also like you're saying, like it's, I don't want to use Renaissance. I want to put words in your mouth, but just definitely sure. a catalyst of change to, yeah you know, all the community can have like pride in. And I'm sure a lot of people are glad that there's a three screen theater that they don't have to drive a half hour out of the way to go to Springfield or wherever right. to go see a movie. So that's great. Um, sure. There's a really good brewery and there's another one opening, uh, hopefully this spring as well. Like a, a, a big hotel renovation went on and it's a brewery and distillery and restaurant. Um, oh, which wow. will be super cool. So like both ends of downtown are going to have, really good breweries so you can kind of hit one up walk the main drag do some shopping finish your day at the other brewery and restaurant and head back wherever you're from so it's gonna be pretty cool buddies that's a wrap on part one of this great conversation with matt sands mind of the record collector part two will be dropping later this week i hope you can check it out until then if you get the chance just spin it and that was another trip around the turntable Thanks for listening to Vinyl Community Podcasts.